about Jesus, amen, 482, let's sing it out tonight, 482, more about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me, more, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me, more about Jesus, let me learn, more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher, be showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness seen, his love who died for me. More about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. More, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me on that last more about Jesus on his throne, riches in glory all his own. More of his kingdom sure increase, more of his coming prince of peace. More, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. And back to 384. Ring the bells of heaven, amen. There is joy today. 384, let's sing it out. Ring the bells of heaven, there is joy today. For us all returning from the wild. See the Father meets him out upon the way, welcoming his weary wandering child. Glory, glory, how the angels sing. Glory, glory, how the loud harps ring. Tis the ransomed army like a mighty sea, pealing forth the anthem of the free. Ring the bells of heaven, there is joy today. For the wanderer now is reconciled. Yes, the soul is rescued from his sinful way and is born anew a ransomed child. Glory, glory, how the angels sing. Glory, glory, how the loud hearts ring. Tis a ransomed army like a mighty sea, healing forth the anthem of the free. Ring the bells of heaven, spread the feast today. Angels swell the glad triumphant strain. Tell the joyful tidings, buried far away. For a precious soul is born again. Glory, glory, how the angels sing. Glory, glory, how the loud hearts ring. Tis a ransomed army like a mighty sea.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together again. Lord, we pray that you would remind us what a great privilege it is to move in freedom. Lord, so many parts of the world to have a meeting like this would be to put our lives, our futures, and our families in mortal danger. We thank you for each one willing to take advantage of the opportunity you have afforded our church. And Lord, we ask that you would work through Brother Hearn and Brother Burgett and Sister Sharon as she shares a special with us tonight that you would do a work in each heart and life here present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to tease you just a little bit. I have on my paper here the total missionary giving for Open Door Bible Baptist Church in the past year. I'm not going to tell you yet. Don't you hate that? I mean, it's right here on this piece of paper, and if I got my glasses on, I could actually read it. Um, but uh, I'll tell you what we did a year ago. Okay? A year ago, our church gave $30,434.75 as of October 31st, 2005. Now that's not bad. But I'll tell you, we did a lot better than that in 06. And 06 is the record year our church has ever had for missions. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. Now I counted it up. We're, right now, monthly, we support 37 missionaries, 12 home missionaries and missionary projects. Uh, that includes Heartland Baptist Bible College. Uh, that includes uh, Brother Terry Hamilton in the Lighthouse Legal Ministries, Brother Russ Hansen, who helps missionaries get Bibles. Uh, I can't think of a better thing to do than help missionaries get Bibles. Amen. And then uh, we support 25 foreign missionaries in 23 different countries for a total of 37 missionaries. And uh, those are just some things to praise the Lord about. And um, we have a debt to pay. Uh, I want to remind you about that. Uh, God gave our little church nearly $600,000 in a period of about seven years to pay off this building. And uh, we praise God for that. Now, those churches, you've heard me say this. Don't get upset for me saying this again, all right? Uh, they don't want us to send the money back to them. They want us doing exactly what we're doing this week. A couple years ago, uh, I know uh, Brother Burgett remembers Brother Dick Webster in, in Louisville, Texas. And uh, they took up two separate offerings while we were buying, buying our building that totaled $23,000.
just that group of preachers in Texas. And uh, I was able to tell Brother Webster about four years ago that our missions giving was more that year than the East Texas Fellowship gave us to buy our building. We paid them off, amen? But we've got a lot of other churches to pay off. tell you what our total was for last year, um, probably Sunday morning, maybe try it out on the, the food's really good tomorrow, uh, does anybody, did we get the media problem solved yet, huh, uh-oh, okay, if you can't get it solved, I'm going to go find that Filipino grocery store and buy some, or I'll make it myself, you watch out. Italian lumpia comes with spaghetti sauce. That ought to be really good, right? So I'm just warning, we got to do something about that. Amen? And uh, so we'll have some fun tomorrow. But uh, just want to praise the Lord for what he's doing. Now, we've been able to support uh, our missionary here, Brother Andy Hearn, for as long as they've been on the field. We can't afford to we also support uh, a very important man in his life, his father-in-law. Without Brother Wolski, Brother Hearn would be a lonely man. And uh, his wife wishes she could be here, but she caught the nine-month flu just a little while. Uh, you ladies know what that is, right? And uh, she's not feeling well. And he said, Brother Montero, would, it, would you really be upset if I didn't bring my wife? going to tell you to put your wife in a car and drag her up there 14 hours feeling sick because she's going to have a baby. I'm not going to do that to anybody. Amen. And uh, so uh, we praise the Lord that he's here and he's brought a slide with him tonight and he is going to tell us what the Lord has been doing in the land of Nepal. And uh, as uh, Brother Burgett has we referred to several times last night, not going to have 10,000 decisions for Christ uh, in Nepal, but uh, you pray for the work that is going on there, and I'm going to stop trying to tell you what happened. I'm just going to let him do it, and so we're going to turn it over to you, and uh, it's all yours. I'll get the lights for you. Hello. Um, like was mentioned, and thank you, like was mentioned, uh, my wife uh, would have liked to have been here, but uh, we're, she's expecting our fourth, and um, at any rate, I, I had her stay back. Morning and evening sickness is not much fun, especially in a hotel room. But uh, if we're back up in the city, uh, we might drop in on a Wednesday or Thursday night, at any rate, just so that she can stop by, because she did want to be here. Um, we want to say thank you. Um, we did come by here on deputation. And since that time, uh, the, the church has supported us, but that support came by, came by in, a, in a different sort of way. Um, we don't look for support from anybody, uh, really. And that, that may sound strange, but it's the Lord, and it's not taking away from the great benefit that the churches are to the missionaries. 
But when you start looking at this thing uh, on, a, on a level of man-to-man, you get, there are two dangers. And one, is that, one of those is that you start complimenting men to the exclusion of the Lord. And another thing you do is when things don't quite go the right way or the way you prefer that they go, then you get bitter toward the people in the pews. And you want to avoid those things. But what I will say is that the Lord has helped us to stay there. I, I did hear one, uh, one brother recently told us or told me that he had heard that there are no such things as closed countries on the mission field, only visa problems. And that's perhaps um, very true. We've been in the country of Nepal about four and a half years, and visas have been something very difficult to keep. But um, what happened one year is that, and rather recently, is that um, we were, I was expecting to receive a six-month visa in order to, um, I was going to, to school to study Nepali. It's not the best way to study Nepali, but it allows us to have a visa. Suddenly, the, the, the minister uh, in that department says, well, you're going to get a year visa, but you're going to have to have the extra fees. And so I was told with three days uh, prior to that time, you're going to have to have a couple more thousand dollars. I think about a thousand dollars. We didn't have it. <laughs> and about that time, your pastor wrote saying, do you all support us? You know, and the temptation is, no, but please do. <laughs> you know, because, you know, that thousand dollars is due, right, you know, in the next couple of days. And I didn't. And I wrote back saying, no, you don't. But, you know, we don't, don't expect that. And thank you. He wrote back saying that was the church's decision and there had just been an oversight. And so the, the church, and we very, remain very thankful to, to all of you, the church sent, um, I guess, what would you say, the back, I, I, right, uh, from the time that we had been here the first time, all the, you wouldn't say back dues, but for lack of a better word, and that paid that money that we needed to get that visa. <laughs> that wasn't anything we asked for. That was something that the Lord put on your pastor's heart, I trust at the very right time. <laughs> and uh, we remain very thankful to all of you as we are to all the churches. You cannot be but a thankful people for what the Lord does in, you know, in all of our lives. And, and we want to remain like that. And we want to keep things toward the Lord first. And that helps you give thanks to Him. It also helps you getting, keep not, don't, can't get bitter toward people. Um, you need to keep your eyes on the Lord. At any rate, um, uh, again, in Nepal, four and a half years. And I would, my, my first night in India, as we're leaving Nepal, the thought occurred to me, as I'm trying to rethink the past four and a half years, the thought occurred to me that the Lord um, will do a great work with all of us. A great work. But you know, that great work is not all that we would want to report. That great work is that he will conform us to the image of Christ. <laughs> and that means a, a lot of failures, a lot of difficulties. But in that, maybe not a lot of uh, results, but the conforming of us into the image of our Savior. <laughs> we are not the models uh, that this world needs. We need Jesus Christ to show forth through us. And so when God has a great work for us, it is to conform us to his image. And nothing more, nothing less. Everything toward the Lord. And uh, four and a half years, I, I will mention briefly, just for short, for lack of time, a lot of difficulties and um, none, none that would be unexpected. But we got into a situation. We were invited to work with a, a Nepalese church. 
and by their invitation, we worked with a pastor, and we got into a church. We really, you know, you don't understand the language, so you don't understand the problems that are there. And things, a light begins to dawn, and, and you begin to understand uh, just how um, bad the situation can be. And the Lord um, allowed us to try to help out where we could, and we did so. And um, some good things happened. And with those good things, the inevitable, as many of you will know, with the good, inevitable backlashes, inevitable um, thwartings by, um, by the enemy. And, I, you know, for about three years, I thought we were going to overcome these. You know, it's like two steps forward and, you know, five steps back, <laughs> then another six steps forward. And, you know, but in the end, you think you're going to get ahead. And, and some good things started happening in the church, some unsaved people in the church who received the Lord. Uh, the church beginning to take a public witness out on the street. We even had some men preaching publicly in Kathmandu. About the time we finally um, came over that hurdle, uh, some things broke up the church. You know what breaks up a church, don't you? All of you do. It's, it's people thinking about themselves. And people in that church began to think about themselves too much. And that's, that's carnality and that's division. And it, and it hurt the church. And I, I still think that perhaps that church might move forward. It's not a church we, we started. And it might move forward, but um, we were finally asked to leave. And uh, we still see the brothers and sisters in that church, and it's still friendly. It's still friendly. It's nothing but uh, but we were asked to leave, and, and that gave us the reason to come back on a furlough. But, um, you know, when we get there, you know, it's, you know, the deacons threatening to kill the, the pastor. And the uh, um, deacon then steals the building. And all these ha- things happen. Why? Because men get their eyes on other men. And it's just the truth. You know, Amy, how many of you have heard of Amy Carmichael? Um, she did a lot of great things, and she's written a lot of good books. And she wrote something that, at first, it's a little, you might misunderstand it. She said, someone came up to her and said, I love hearing about missions. And she said, well, why? She said, missions is like watching a shipwreck. <laughs> and, and what she's speaking of is, and I'm not trying to, dull zeal at all. What you see, when you see one man, this is not, when you see one man, or when you see one woman understand the gospel and receive Christ, I assure you, that is worth anything and everything you can put into it. But you know, there's thousands of people, millions of people, and billions of people that we simply do not reach. It's not a success until you, until you start looking at it one man at a time. And I think that's the only way you can look at this. And, um, Again, thank you for your help. I'm going to show some slides and try to show them quickly. This is about the second time I've gone through these, so I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. And if you have any questions, there won't be time. Maybe you can ask them you know, afterwards if you'd like. I'll do my best to answer them then. So I'll go ahead. If you can, get the lights, please, and I'll move through these. Lucas was a little bit nervous about the new technology last night. Today, I had trouble just getting this this wheel on this. <laughs> so, on an old-time projector, you know I wouldn't be able to handle anything else. Right now, I'll probably drop it. was very scary. There's a, there's a book in front of it. 
Okay, thank you. Now, the, the country of Nepal, and some of you will recognize some of these pictures. I purposely actually don't take pictures in Nepal. It's, um, it's a detriment to our ministry there to, for people to see us taking pictures of them. But at any rate, you will recognize some of the pictures perhaps from before, but there are some new ones as well. Um, for those of you who do, do not know, the nation of Nepal is a country of mountains stuck in between the subcontinent, well, in the subcontinent of, uh, of India, stuck in between India and China. Eight out of the ten highest peaks in the world are in Nepal, and it's a beautiful country. We've actually been in the, uh, the city of Kathmandu the past four and a half years, but the modern history of Nepal begins in this place, in a, in a town in central Nepal called Gorkha, and this is the former palace or the uh, family palace of the uh, Sahad dynasty, which until, well, still is the uh, ruling dynasty in Nepal. About the time our revolution Revolutionary War was fought. Uh, a man by the name of Praviti Narayan Saha uh, gathered the country together by conquest and uh, began to unite the country and uh, remained in control. The same family has a man by the name of King Gayendra, and he sits on the throne here in Kathmandu. And Nepal was the only Hindu country in the world, the only Hindu kingdom in the world, up until about a month and a half ago, when after he had taken power, absolute power. About two years ago, that power was then removed from him uh, during protest. Now, that place and that throne in Kathmandu might be finally removed here in the next couple of weeks. And here you have a statue of Praviti Narayan Saha uh, draped in um, some sort of cloak to hide him because suddenly the monarchy is not popular at all. And something, you know, the Hindus worship Gayendra and his family as, as gods on earth as incarnations of the Hindu god Vishnu or Vishnu. And um, what has removed this power, however, is basically a Maoist revolution that's a, been ongoing in the country for about 10 years. Um, it's something that remained on the outskirts, but the Maoist uh, radical uh, communist controlled about 80% of the government and then, excuse me, 80% of the country, and then in the past oh, I don't know, six months, they've really gotten control of Kathmandu, and there's even talk right now of the, of the Maoists being invited into the government. And, and what's even scarier is that they're not being asked to give up their arms in order to do so. So they're going to have an army along that's sitting along with the Nepal army, and uh, there's a real possibility of um, it becoming a communist state, much the way China was in 47, and they are very antagonistic toward the church. Uh, Christians planting churches, especially out in the West, have said, well, we're not going to mess with the churches now, but we will get rid of you eventually. And it's a scary thing, actually. Um, now, the, the, the spiritual uh, history of Nepal begins from actually India. There were no churches in Nepal until about 1952. Uh, before that time, some Nepalese in a, a part of India called Darjeeling, if you've ever heard of Darjeeling tea, it's a Nepali-speaking part of India. And uh, uh, Scottish missionaries settled the place and did a great work in the uh, late 1800s, and much of that work survives. And then from there, eventually, missionaries got into Nepal in the, in the 50s, and things have really increased lately. Now, that this is a rather poor picture, but a picture of the city of Kathmandu, the Dabar Square, the central square in Kathmandu. And this is the place we lived for the past four and a half years, in the outskirts of Kathmandu. Again, uh, the Pagoda temples. Nepal being a Hindu country, but a significant portion are Buddhist as well.
Now, Nepal, my mom once came to visit, and she never got outside the city of Kathmandu, and I told her, really, you've not seen Nepal. And, um, until you get outside and see the countryside, and uh, I'm not talking about merely the mountains, but just the people, uh, there's a side of Nepal you'll never really see. It's extremely a rugged place. Um, you know, you go on visitation often in the States. Not, you know, visitation takes you weeks in Nepal. Uh, that's just how it is in a lot of parts of the world, of course. Um, but you're talking about, you know, it's a country about the size of Tennessee, but it'll take you weeks to get from one place to another walking. There just simply aren't the roads uh, that there are in other places. Now, when we arrived, we came, um, well, before that, let me mention that, again, Hindu... The, the national religion of Nepal was Hinduism about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. They've changed that. But here you see a, a, a Hindu temple called Pashupatinath, and it is the, uh, one of the major uh, temples in, um, in the, among the Hindus. And uh, that Bhagmati River flows next to that temple, and the bodies are, the, the dead are, are cremated. And as I mentioned perhaps before, when I came through here before, babies have been sacrificed in that river. Baby sacrifice uh, still occurs in India and Nepal, though not much, but it still occurs. And uh, the women would throw themselves upon the funeral pyre to uh, align and join their husbands after they've died. Still also occurs. Now, Hinduism is impossible uh, to explain in 20 hours or less, but uh, it's, a, it's a pantheistic religion and they'll worship anything and everything. But it is a religion that also requires blood and uh, requires sacrifice. It's a religion of ritual, no matter what it be. And of course, if you, you may know that the Buddha, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, was born in Nepal. He was a prince in a, in, a, in a state in what is now South Nepal. And especially after Tibet was conquered in the late 40s, there are a lot of Tibetan uh, Buddhists especially that live in Nepal and, and North India also. Now we went... Uh, upon the invitation of this man and, and his son, this man's name was Stephen Sinha. He, he has since passed away, and uh, I helped as much as I could and did what he asked me to do and didn't do what he, he didn't ask me to do. And his wife, Santi, is on the far left and this is her grandson in the middle, and I uh, tried to help out there where I could. Um, a lot of difficulties in the church, but we, we did see some things happening as well. This is the church building they had. They lost this, again, as I mentioned, when... Um, the deacon in the church took it back under his name but um, again it's just there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things uh, it becomes really difficult at times when well-meaning people throw a lot of money into the country and um, and, it, and it actually works to the, to the detriment of the churches um, again doing the same sort of things that, that men have and, and we'll talk to you about this weekend but that is just uh, basically getting Nepalese getting uh, people in the country ready to do the work that all of you and, all, and myself also, all of us, take for granted so much in this country. And a lot of what we did was training up of, of, uh, of a few men so they could teach others also. And uh, I did a lot of public teaching in the church. Uh, we did some translation work as well. Eventually, about uh, six months into my stay there, the Lord dealt with me about doing public distribution of, of literature and Bible, something I was told we, we could not do in Nepal. We've done it for four out of our four and a half years there. Um, I don't give out get out as many tracts as I want to. I do hit and run sort of things, but we get about fifteen hundred to two thousand tracts a week, and always have since we started. 
again, in a country where we were told we could not do so. Um, so that's been a big encouragement. When other things go wrong, being able to go out in the street and get literature out and as my language improved, be able to talk to people on the street was a big help. Now, is this not working? Okay. Excuse me. I'm sorry if some haven't heard me. But with the, uh, with the increase in the amount of literature we were distributing, we also began a bookstore. And the book, bookstore was never an end in itself, but uh, just a means to get literature out because the literature we were trying to get published was not something that the charismatic bookstore in the town was going to print or, I'm sorry, would sell. So we started this bookstore as well. We tried to do some work with, an, with a man by the name of Bishnu Pandey, and he started an orphanage. We helped him. He does a bulk of the work, but we did help him in one way, and that is we bought a portion of land that you'll see here, and then a closer up here. Uh, this land we will not build buildings on. We will do nothing like this, but they will farm this land so that they can be self-supporting themselves, and that um, th that is something they've since begun. I'm sorry, we have one more uh, bit of support we will send them, and then uh, that is the intention that they will be self-supporting uh, thereafter. This man is named Vishnu Pandey. He works out in the West, and we may, if the Lord allows, if the Lord purposes it, we may move out there, uh, his direction, to help him some upon our return. Now, this is a church... They've done things very differently, and they built this building themselves uh, with their own money. And when that sort of thing happened, the, the difference in the, the believers in the church is just immense, and the fellowship among the brethren is much stronger. A uh, man, uh, Prakas Rawit, he and his wife, uh, Salu, uh, worked with us some time, came from England, received the Lord in England, actually, and came back, left his studies in, in Great Britain to uh, help us in Nepal. He's since on, gone, gone on to India. A, uh, a woman uh, that lives with us, actually, her husband died. We tried to help him in, with some medical expenses. He had a liver go out on him. Um, but uh, she's a, especially a good friend of my wife and their young boy, Salome. These are just some faces we know. Um, a woman of the church. Um, her name, uh, last name is Rye. The church we used to work at. The man on the left is our first convert. And his name is K.P. Sharma, a high-caste Brahmin. His uh, daughter, I'm sorry, his sister, Kusum, is not saved. And K.P., I just don't have the time, was a big blessing. He, he, then, he, he ne neglected, uh, turned away from all the rituals that were demanded on, upon him as a Brahmin, and then um, felt some pressure finally that he could not or would not um, uh, withstand against and fell away from the Lord, but is since, since now returning. So we're excited about this. Another convert by the name of Govinda, another Brahmin, um, not doing as well, but is growing very slowly but consistently. And these are just some faces that people that we wish we had seen saved but haven't. This woman, I've written about her more recently. Her name is Mondevi. She doesn't hear. She can't speak. She can't read. She can't reason well. She doesn't understand picture books of the gospel. So we're at a loss as to what to do really at all. You can pray for her. Her name is Mondevi. We've tried several different ways to help her understand the gospel. You just cannot do it. Her husband left her, like happens to thousands of women in Nepal, to marry another man, another woman. And just different pictures now as I wind up, some pictures of some people in the hills receiving tracts. A family in Dalek. Some children in Kathmandu. Why a woman in Kathmandu, her husband's left her as well. We, she uh, sold us a lot of 
things at a, at a small shop our uh, first year there. Same cast as the king, actually, very strangely enough. Same cast as the king, but it lives a very different life than the king would. Uh, this man was probably, this man was in an old uh, Nepali, traditional Nepali house. About the first time I ever felt a lot of, you know, began to feel very comfortable preaching to a group of people. He was in that group of men and uh, listened to the gospel very well. But like so many others, it just takes a long time to deal with these people. A long, long time. Just because when you hear certain concepts, they hear the same words, but they think very differently. I'll leave you with this picture. This is a picture of a, uh, of a, of a Maoist woman and her baby. She converted her husband to the Maoist movement and like thousands and thousands and thousands of others in, in Nepal. Uh, she's a person with hopes and dreams, but she's placing them in the, those dreams in the wrong hands. And let's hope and pray that Nepal does not become another China and Russia, Soviet Union because the same thing will happen to those people that have happened uh, for too many years before. Appreciate your time. And again, if you have any questions afterwards, I'll be happy to answer them. And I'm sorry. If, I don't know. Did a lot of people, because of the microphone, not hear me in the beginning? Was I hard to hear? have any questions for for brother Hearn feel free to approach him at the end of the service spend some time talking with him I mean uh, a unique opportunity uh, you just cannot uh, go down to the Nepalese consulate to the United Nations and say I want to go start a church uh, not going to happen but uh, Praise the Lord for the work that is going on. Amen. And uh, let's uh, take, we got to do two things. Number one, all those staying for the team meeting. If you want to try passing for a team, just hold up your hand so we can count you, all right? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, we'll let you pass. Twelve. Okay. You guys like to eat pizza? Okay, okay. Let me get the count here. We got to do some, do a little business there. We got, if I don't order the pizza in the next 20 minutes, then there won't be any food for the team meeting. So um, after that, let's uh, stand. Let's sing a song, 458. 458, draw me nearer. Amen. Four hundred. And 58 in your hymn books. Peter, can you give him a hand there? I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice and told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer. Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 bless.
to thy precious bleeding side. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thine. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross a narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding sign. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, we're going to have Sharon Mansour come and give us a special song. And as soon as she's done, Brother Burgett, the pulpit is yours. somewhere proclaiming the good news winning families to Jesus all around his neighborhood he tells them that God is able to make their house a home he wants to win his world for Christ but he can't do it alone but each one can reach one. As we follow after Christ, we all can lead one. We can lead one to the Savior. And together we can tell the world that Jesus is the way if we each one reach one the message is unchanging go ye into all the world and share the love of Jesus far away or door to door 
Just like somebody told you that Jesus loves you so, we must tell someone who will tell someone till the whole world knows. For each one can reach one. As we follow after Christ, we all can lead one. We can lead one to the Savior. Then together we can tell the world that Jesus is the way. If we each one reach one and together can tell the world that Jesus is the way if we each one reach one thank you Shan <clears throat> boy that's the truth each one needs to reach one. That means right here at home. Uh, not just for the missionary, not just for the preacher. We, each one, need to reach one. And a uh, tremendous challenge. And uh, what a blessing, though, when you lead somebody to the Lord. And, uh, and it's a real blessing when you see that person develop and, and uh, continue to serve the Lord. What a, what a blessing it is. I have thoroughly enjoyed being able to be back here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church and see faces I don't know. I like that. It had been, uh, uh, let's see, what did we say? Four years ago, wasn't it, Brother Montoro, that uh, we were here. And uh, I am delighted to see uh, new faces, and uh, that's the way it ought to be. And uh, I, I tell you, it's a, a blessing um, and I appreciate the work that's being done here in uh, New York City. I was uh, working today and, and um, found some things. I'd promised the missionaries I was going to say something about Africa, and uh, so I, I, did, uh, I looked that up today. The uh, total population of that great continent of Africa, there's 48 countries there. I'm talking about what's within the continent of Africa, not talking about islands around Africa. And of course, there's one big island outside of Africa, and that's Madagascar. But that's a separate nation altogether. And, uh, but in, just in the, on the continent of Africa alone, um, I rounded these figures up just a tad. I think maybe 75,000 people, 895 million people in Africa. That's on, I mean, who can figure out how many that is? 895 million. Just a tremendous number of people. Now, some of them are not reachable. But you know, you know what's the truth? 840 million of them are. Those that are Muslim countries that refuse to let missionaries in, if you get in, you're going to work under a whole lot of duress and um, we'll have to do it incognito or something. But you've still got 840 million people you know, on the whole continent of Africa that are uh, ready and willing to listen and will allow missionaries in. I'm not sure of all the details of getting in, but in any event, you can get in. 
Um, Brother Hearn, I don't know if you're, uh, I, I should have bounced this off you in the, in the room today, but uh, I, uh, my figures show Nepal at 28,287,000 people and uh, has a, a gross domestic product there of $1,370 per capita. Um, Africa is at uh, 80, uh, where I, I wrote that somewhere. No, there it is. Uh, the average gross domestic product in Africa per capita is uh, $1,875. And so it kind of gives you an idea. Remember what I said. Russia, by the way, Brother Gary, uh, $4,700. I think I said that last night. And that's the GDP per capita. And uh, here and there, I mean, there in Luxembourg, in Europe, it's 33000 Here in America, it's 30000 So you begin to see the difference in these nations and their the potential of their income and all that and why we have poverty where we do have poverty. Uh, Russia, much, much bigger country than United States with less than half the population, 142,894,000 people. But there's still, you have to remember, 142 million, almost 143 million people in Russia that need Christ and the vast, vast Majority of them know nothing of Christ. They've had years, 70 years at least, of atheism. And uh, the missionaries are very, very much needed. But it's very difficult to get in. And uh, even Brother Gary Lucas here has, is a living proof of what can happen to a missionary. Just arbitrarily. You're out, fella. Sorry. Bye. And what do you have? Five days to get out? Something like that I think you mentioned last night. Um, you know, another thing, that, though, that is a factor, I was going over this just today, and um, <clears throat> there are 34 countries, I believe. Was that what I said, uh, Andy? 34 countries total uh, in the world who are having a major problem with AIDS. Do you know that uh, 26 of those countries are on the continent of Africa? Boy, that's enough to make... Uh, missionaries to Africa sit up and take notice and uh, so it's uh, uh, I don't I'm not trying to paint a gloomy picture I'm trying to paint an honest picture so that you can see what's going on because our missionaries are out there in the real world facing real problems and we people back here in our situations with our real problems have to remember what they're doing and do everything we can to help them get the job done so um, uh, looking forward to what the preacher's going to give to us uh, whenever he's going to do it. You know, tell how much you gave in uh, the tail end of 05 and 06. And uh, so um, hang on. But I tell you, we need to do something. We've got to do something if we're going to get the gospel out. And the gospel must be gotten out. It just must be gotten out. I want to speak to you tonight on this subject, on giving to God. And you're probably going to say, oh man, here we go. He's going to talk on money. No, he's not going to talk on money tonight. But I'm going to talk on giving to God. And uh, turn in your Bibles, if you can, to Psalm 116, verses 12 through 14. Psalm 116. And then we're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 22. But go to 116, Psalm 116, 12 through 14. And here's what's recorded. Boy, this is challenging. What shall I render unto the Lord 
for all his benefits toward me. If we just went that far, that'd be enough. But what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? You know, you, can't, you cannot repay God. There's nothing you can do to repay him. He has blessed us so much. There is no way. I mean, so we give our lives on a foreign field. So we spend our years preaching the gospel. What is that compared to what he's done for us? So um, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. What do we owe him? Well, we owe him our very lives. He has given us life. I have oftentimes said, if it hadn't been for somebody else to talk to you or me, we would not be saved. And my question then to us is, who are we speaking to? I mean, you just can't avoid the implication that we need to be speaking for Christ, we need to be talking to others about Christ. You've got to give the word out. You've got to witness and, and so forth. But I want to speak to us tonight. Oh, there's, there's one verse that I want to uh, show you tonight that was a real blessing to me. I, I've been reading uh, my New Testament, just the New Testament. You may say, well, you're peculiar. I probably am. Uh, but anyway, as, uh, I've been reading just the New Testament this, uh, this whole year. I just decided that because when you read your whole Bible, and I don't know how many of you practice reading your whole Bible every year, but if you're not, you ought to start. Uh, I'd start sooner than later and uh, get going on reading your Bible. And, um, <clears throat> of course, a good time to start that is on January 1st, but that's still another two months away nearly. So it wouldn't hurt you if you started reading now, would it? <laughs> uh, you're, you're a great bunch you respond so strongly it just overwhelms me <laughs> but I've been reading my I've been reading my New Testament uh, and I'm going through it on the fourth time now and uh, what a blessing because when you read the Old Testament and the New Testament you just get the New Testament in the last few months of the year and you're through with it, you got to start back in the Old Testament again. I don't mean that wrong. That may sound like I mean that wrong, but I don't mean it wrong. But the New Testament is so vital to us because it is, it really speaks to our hearts, if you please. Um, well, I know somebody will criticize me for saying this, but it speaks, to, it speaks to our hearts more readily than I think the Old Testament does because it's more currently involved with what we are experiencing. Well, I was reading today, and, and I never noticed this verse especially before, but in, in Galatians 3, 8, uh, it reads like this. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, and it goes on, but I just wanted to stop right there. It's not doing any damage to the scripture to stop right there. It's not the proper place to stop, but I just say it's not doing any damage, not changing the meaning of anything at all. But, it, the, the, but that verse says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. And how are they going to get faith? They've got to hear the word preached. You don't preach the word to them. You know, you, you can, we can uh, use all kinds of things, but you cannot avoid the preaching of the word of God. The word must be preached. And that takes people. People uh, with a, a voice and a determination and a dedication to God and saying, I may have to struggle with this language, 
I know that Andy Hearn has struggled with Nepali. He's just a normal guy. It didn't come to him naturally. It came to him through force. And he had to force himself to get a hold of it. I know whereof I speak. I speak Japanese. But I sure do remember when I was learning it. It was a horrible chore. It really was. I think about Gary Lucas speaking Russian. Whew. Go for it, buddy. You can have it. I mean, that, and you struggled. I don't have to wonder. I know you did. Anybody that picks up another language, you struggle. And you really struggle. You really feel it when you're, when you're in a foreign country and everywhere you go. Um, look, let me, let me tell you something. The very first time I, I went to a store, I, I was, my wife asked me to get a loaf of bread. And uh, so they, the loaf of bread is about yay long. And it was in a showcase. In the show in the window, you know, and uh, so um, I walked in there and I couldn't say anything. I mean, nothing. And uh, so I I walked up I, I walked up to the counter where the bread was, and I got the girl girl's eye. She looked at me and I said, "You know, that's all I said. Nothing. I just pointed and like that." And so she picked up a loaf of bread. And uh, she started to wrap it, and I said, and she looked at me, because I didn't know how to say anything, and, uh, and I, I went like this. And she understood I wanted it sliced. I couldn't tell her how wide or how narrow or anything, but she sliced it, and that's what I wanted. So I was satisfied with the width she gave me. But I didn't know how much it was. I really didn't. I didn't know anything. I told you I didn't know anything. I really didn't. That was my first time. Buddy, if you think that's fun, it is. <laughs> kind of embarrassing, but it's fun. I mean, what can you do about it? How do you learn? But get in there and try. And so I wrote the yen mark. It's a Y with an equal over the tail. And put that on a piece of paper and hand it to her. And she, she handed it back to me with 90. And then I had to look in my coins and see what 90 yen looked like. Because you don't know what 90 yen looks like to begin with. Man, it's all strange stuff. And, and, and you that haven't had that experience, man, you haven't lived. Uh, and so um, um, but, so uh, uh, I paid her the 90 yen and went on my way home. Successful buyer. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you know today, I'm not just sure today, I, I haven't bought bread uh, when I was there a year ago this past summer. I don't think I even... Uh, purchased any bread, but before we ever left Japan, they had changed it from one of these big loaves down to about a third or a fourth of that loaf, and we were now paying about 120 yen for one of those little segments now. And uh, in the meantime, our currency exchange rate had changed dramatically. When we went to Japan, we uh, got 360 yen to the dollar. And uh, at the point that I'm thinking about, we were now down to 180 yen to the dollar, which means my salary had been cut in half. Right? You understand that? Well, most people don't, but I think you did understand that. Uh, you really convinced me. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, but it, it's a reality of life. It happens on the mission field. And uh, as a matter of fact, today it's right at about 100 yen to the dollar. You know, we're getting ready. I, I'm going to break away just for a second. I, we're getting ready for the Lord's coming. We really are. There is no question about it. You know, we've got the European Union. 
in, enforced, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I heard just the other day. I don't know. I haven't heard it yet myself. Maybe some of you have heard about it. They're talking about a North American union. Any of you hear that? Nod your head or shake your head. Good. You're like me. I didn't. I hadn't heard. Gary, you heard about it. Uh, so, I, and I'm not. I'm not surprised. Listen, I think Europe is the is the testing ground. If they can get it going in Europe, they're going to do it somewhere else. And I won't be a bit surprised before what there'd be a North American Union, Canada, U.S., Mexico, one nation. It'll come. Listen, we're going to have one world government somewhere, sometime. It is coming. And you and I might as well open our eyes and see what's on the horizon. Uh, the, the, uh, the plan is afoot, and it's going to go. I, I think we ought to all pray for this election this uh, uh, next, next Tuesday. Boy, we need to be praying that God's will be done on this election. It's very, very critical. It really is. It's going to affect our future. And uh, we've got another one coming up in a couple of years that's going to even more greatly affect us if we don't do good on this election. Really will. There's a, there, none of us are perfect, but I guarantee you, there's a crowd out there that is wanting to get control of our nation that will take us down the tube. Now, there's no question about it. So, um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have got digressed on that, but I just couldn't help it. It's just something that is an issue at, at hand, and uh, we're in this world, and everything is so critical. Let me read that again to you. Psalm 116, 12 through 14. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I, I think that I, think that, um, I want to bring you three illustrations tonight from the Scripture of what people have done uh, in this regard. And I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 22 to begin with. Genesis chapter 22. And I want to speak to you on the experience that uh, Abraham had with his son Isaac. Many of you will know this. Many of you know the story of Abraham and Isaac. And, um, but uh, I want you to see what, uh, in, on, in this uh, thinking on giving to God, think about what Abraham was challenged with doing. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me just start reading and we'll stop and, and uh, pick up and just explain as we go. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. By the way, that tempt could also be said, test, tested him, uh, tested Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou, uh, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and listen to what he says, and come again to you. Well, what a significant statement. I mean, when you think about what that, what that meant... I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine how Abraham felt when God said to him, 
Take thy son, thine only son Isaac, and offer him to me. And God had told Abraham, it's going to be through Isaac that the nations will be blessed. It's through Isaac that your seed is going to be continued. And then God says, bring your son Isaac and offer him on, on an altar of sacrifice. And Abraham did not, I mean, there's nothing in the scripture. You can't find one word that Abraham ever resisted or ever uh, was perturbed by this uh, order. You don't see anything anywhere where he felt like this is unfair. You don't see anything but compliance. He complied with what God said for him to do. Well, what a, what a challenge, though, to a dad. You men that are dads in here tonight, you know what I'm talking about. You love your boys. You love that young man. And uh, you don't want anything to happen to them. And yet, and yet God said to, to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and offer him on the altar of sacrifice. What a challenge. Um, but, but, uh, but Abraham did just that. And I want you to notice his, uh, Abraham's faith. I mean, not only did he comply with what God asked him to do, but he instructed his young men to remain at that place, and he said, we'll come again to you. What did Abraham know? How, what was he thinking? You, I, mean, uh, uh, I mean, that is just absolutely mind-boggling. But Abraham planned to return. I know he himself was coming back, but... You know, if you'll notice in the continuing of the story, and I didn't read it all, but, but let me just summarize it if you don't mind. Abraham took the wood. He placed it on Isaac. I think that was significant, placing it on Isaac. I think that, that speaks to my heart like Jesus carried his cross to the top of Golgotha's mountain. The, the wood was placed on Christ. The wood was placed on Isaac. And Isaac carried that wood. Abraham, um, Abraham took the fire, and uh, he also took a knife. And um, they go on their way. And Isaac gave a searching question. Boy, listen to this. I mean, in verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Can you imagine what that felt like to Abraham when, when Isaac said that? He must have, it must have wrenched his heart. He must have thought, man, how can I answer that? But, but listen to his answer. And Abraham said, my son, well, what faith? My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both, so they went both of them together. You know, you can, when you think about this thing in the time frame of what Abraham is experiencing, he has been told by God to take his son and offer him. Now they're on their way, and the son says, Dad, where's the lamb? We got the fire, we got the wood, we can build an altar up there, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, Son, God will provide himself a lamb. I don't know if Abraham understood what he said. I really don't. I, I think that God himself must have inspired Abraham to answer the way he did. But he literally answered in a prophetic truth because he said, 
God will provide himself a lamb. And God did provide himself a lamb. And that is just astounding. And they went on their way. Look at the scene at the altar from verses 9 through 13. Abraham built an altar up there on top of Mount Moriah. He put the wood in place. And then he did a strange thing. He took Isaac and he bound him with a rope, I assume. Bound him, I know. And not one word of protest out of Isaac's lips. That makes me think of Christ again. Because you'll never hear Christ protesting when they led him to the cross of Calvary. When they led him out there to crucify him. You'll never hear him say, Stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? Never did he say anything. Was absolutely silent. Went. He knew what was coming. And somehow, I wonder if Isaac, I don't know if Isaac understood or didn't understand, but in any event, there's one thing that I can say with confidence. Isaac trusted his dad. What a marvelous example. And, and Abraham bound him and then laid him, on the, laid him on the altar. You and I both know. Both dad and son knew what was coming. The, uh, the son had already seen the knife that Abraham was carrying. And now he sees it raised over him as Abraham is about to plunge that knife into his son's heart and take his life. And from, from heaven comes the voice of an angel. Abraham, Abraham. But I'll bet you, I mean, I know this is put in the vernacular of the street, but I'll bet you old Abraham sure did enjoy hearing that voice. Abraham, Abraham. I know he joyfully stopped in the midst of that action and said, yes, my Lord. And look at what, look at what, what the, uh, verses 11 and 12 says, And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know, listen to what he says, For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Just think what that means. Um, verse 13 is, has got to be read to, figure, to understand what all took place. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Isaac was off the altar. Isaac was let loose. The ram took his place. And you know, you know, I, I said I wasn't preaching on money tonight, and I'm not. But I want to just remind you of one little thing. When God asks us for some money, He's not asking for a whole lot. Think about it. Yeah, that's right. Because He could ask for a whole lot more. And anyway, and by the way, I like I, I said last night, I can speak from experience. To give your child to God for His service is not a sacrifice on dad's part not at all that's a blessing that's a blessing and uh, and but when you face what Abraham faced that would be absolutely challenging I mean what could you do and yet you you know you must comply with what God instructs you to do and I think about another incident that took place in the scriptures Turn, if you will, to 1 Samuel, 
the book of 1 Samuel. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and so forth on through the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> I like that. Uh, you can just say Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and that makes a sentence right there, but it gives you three books right in a row. Joshua judges Ruth. You can find Ruth that way. Of course, that's one up uh, after Ruth comes Samuel, right? All right. Just anything to help us remember where we are, right? First Samuel. This is the story of Hannah and Samuel. Yeah, let me let me just uh, brief you on what's going on. Hannah Hannah had a burden. Uh, Hannah had a burden because what? No children. She was absolutely desperate. One of the, the aim, I, look, let me, let me give you an illustration right out of my own family. Our middle child is named Joy. And uh, <clears throat> when Joy graduated from high school, she said to me, Dad, I think I'd like to be a doctor. And uh, I said, uh, well, I remember a little girl who has always dreamed about being a mother. And I said, um, I don't think it'd be wrong for you to become a doctor. That'd probably be all right. But if you're going to be a doctor, I don't know how much of a mother you can be. I said, have you ever thought about maybe being a nurse? And she said, well, I hadn't thought about it, but that's not a bad idea. And she literally took nurse's training and graduated, became an RN. And she's now been married for several years, got five children. And a happy girl, missionary to Japan now. I mean, you know, um, listen, uh, children are a blessing. Ask Julia, she knows. Ask uh, the rest of us, I know. I, I sure enjoy my children. Man, I, I think it's the wonderful, most wonderful thing ever happened. If, if you don't feel that way, I feel sorry for your kids. <laughs> you get the meaning? I hope you did. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's nothing like children. They are such a blessing. They really are. I mean, I, I always treasure the time that we can have with the children, even if they've got kids of their own many times over. I've got 20 grandchildren already, and I've got four great-grandchildren. And one of my grandsons is getting married this, this month now, so we've got prospects for more great-grandkids. Have at it, kids. Not mine. I've got all my kids. <laughs> but uh, Hannah couldn't have any children. Literally, uh, the scripture says, but Hannah had no children. And in verse 2, and then verse 5, a part of it says, but the Lord had shut up her womb. She could not have children. And it was one of those strange things. We had an interesting discussion going on at the supper table tonight. We're talking about multiple wives. I don't know why in the wide world we're talking about multiple wives. I mean, one wife is all you need, boys. Yeah, that'll give you enough trouble. Oh, no, I didn't mean to say that. That was the wrong way, wasn't it? And that said, that went, that went out the wrong way. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want two wives. I really wouldn't. I'm satisfied with one. I've had that one wife for 54 years, and I said, amen, buddy, I like it. I do. I enjoy that. Um, talk to her every day since I've been up here. And uh, so, um, but, uh, but um, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Uh, and like I say, I, 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 uh, Peter and I were talking tonight at the supper table, and I said, hey, Peter, just remember one thing, buddy. God gave Adam one wife. I said, that sets a pattern. 
and he grinned and acknowledged that I was right <laughs> uh, because, uh, because that is right. That's enough. You don't need any more. Girls, wouldn't you want any competition? <laughs> no, you wouldn't want any competition. Who'd want competition in that? Wouldn't that be something? But Peninnah and Hannah were the wives of Elkanah. And, uh, and Peninnah was uh, kind of a dingling, I think, because she kept picking at Hannah and picking at her because she couldn't have any kids. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't Hannah's fault that she couldn't have children. And Peninnah, it wasn't her fault that she had children. You know, God had blessed her with children. She ought to acknowledge that God had blessed and instead of uh, making fun of Hannah. So Hannah was really down in the dumps, and she was really grieved because she had no children. And uh, she and Elkanah went to the... to the. Um, um, I'm trying to think which way it was, temple or tabernacle? Temple. No, tabernacle yet. <laughs> we're, not, we're not in David's life yet. So it went to the tabernacle and, and, uh, and was serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And uh, she was so grief-stricken about this. She just bowed her knees, and she was just, wasn't even voicing her words. She was just mouthing the words that she was begging God to give her a baby. And uh, she said, if you give me a man-child, I'll give him back. And remember, Eli got angry with her and said, what have you been drinking there, woman? And uh, that was, that's my version of it. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, and she said, sir... I, I, I'm not drunk. I am just grief-stricken because I have no children. And I've just promised God, if I have a child, I'll give that child back to the Lord. And so Eli changed his tune, and he said, God bless you, and, and that's in my version. Uh, God bless you. I hope you have children. And, um, and so uh, they went their way, and uh, Samuel was born in due time after that. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, you know the story. Hannah gave Samuel back to the Lord. And Samuel served God his entire life. By the way, did you know that he didn't die until in his old age? But did you notice this? That Hannah's reward was this. She got five more children. She had three boys and two girls. A total of six children were born to Hannah and Elkanah. And uh, I mean, she was a happy mother. She had her children and she was delighted that things had turned the way they had. And again, I say to you, when God says, would you give a little extra for the missionaries? He's not asking for much. He's really not. I mean, we can... What is money? Yeah, I know you've got to have it. I understand. But I mean, boy, that isn't asking much, is it? I want you to think with me now on the third thought tonight. And that's this. God and His Son. You almost knew that was coming, didn't you? I mean, if we talked about Abraham and his son, Isaac, and Hannah and her son, Samuel, there's only one other person we've got to deal with, and that's God and his son. Let me give you John 3.16. You know it in English. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Hear it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Japanese, it comes out like this. Sorikami wa sonishitori go tamo hodo ni yo-o aishitamairi. Subete kariyoshin zurumono no horobizu shite tokoshia no inochi o en taminari. 
Same thing as what we have in English. Boy, I tell you, that is, that is absolutely... Listen, do you understand something tonight, people? There is only one... I, I want to put it... I'll, I'll say it this way. I don't normally say it this way. There's only one religion in the world that has a Savior. And that's Christianity. You don't have a Savior anywhere else. There's no one else that has given their life for all of us. Christ alone died that you and I could be saved. It is absolute proof He is the Savior. It's absolute proof He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. God raised Him from the dead. He's the only one who has come back and is alive forevermore. And it sets an example for you and me. We know that if we have Christ in our hearts, that we will have life forevermore. I mean, that run, that there is no end to it. But I want us to stop tonight just for a moment before we bring this message to a conclusion and say this. You know, Jesus died after a rigged trial was held. That was absolutely a rigged trial. There was no credence to it. No, I mean, the, uh, so far as legality was concerned, it was as crooked as anything could be crooked. They apprehended him in the middle of the night on false charges and took him in and started the interrogation then. And they had their, their different interrogations that they held. Now, you remember the, how the story went? The trial was held there during the early morning hours. He was taken to the cross at 9 a.m. Come on, he's just apprehended the night before. He's going to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. Already judged guilty. Everything has been taken care of. Like I said, it was a rigged trial. It wasn't anything, according to Hoyle, at all. Totally crooked. And um, taken to the cross at 9. At noontime, the sky turned, turned black. I mean, it turned absolutely dark. Sun didn't shine. That should have been a signal something strange was going on. And, uh, and by 3 p.m., Christ was dead. He had given his life. And I do want to, I do want to emphasize one thing. The, the, um, the scripture is right when it says, He handed over his soul to the Savior. I don't know. If that, is that the way it goes in English? I don't think so. Uh, his spirit to the Father, wasn't it? Yeah, spirit to the Father, I believe is the way it goes. I was thinking in Japanese. And because uh, it's reo watash tamo is what it says in, in Japanese. It means he literally, he literally, literally people, literally said, I will die. I mean, it wasn't that he struggled and struggled and finally died. Not that at all. He literally cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. Because he had finished the work of redemption. And he said, Father, into thy hands. Yeah, here it comes. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There it is. I mean, he willfully died. And that's such a difference from the way you and I will die. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, he, and so he was buried that evening. Something like 15 to 18 hours after being apprehended, he's already buried. You talk about a crooked trial. And that's the Savior of the world. That's the only one who can give life. And they took him, they apprehended him, and they put him to death. No mercy, no nothing. And, the, and can you imagine the implication of crucifying the only Savior? I know it was all in the, 
in the, in the will of God. I know he had to die for lost mankind. I know all that. But you cannot avoid the implication that the people who put him on the cross were as guilty, as we say, were as guilty as sin. They really were. They had really committed an atrocious act. And they were guilty. You know one thing I like about Peter? Peter never hesitated to tell him. And ye were the men that crucified him. Never did Peter hesitate to say that. Just let him know that's, that they were guilty of having done Christ wrong. And, um, and yet God raised him up from the dead, uh, raised the Savior up from the dead. And Christ still to this very moment has the power to heal. He has the power to save. He is all-powerful. He is the all-powerful God, if you please. And buddy, I guarantee you that is something for us to proclaim to the world. Look, the Buddhists have buried Buddha and they've scattered his bones and teeth and everything else all over the world. And there's more teeth than the man could have in his, in his mouth that has been buried and claimed to be Buddha's teeth. They're all over the world. They really are. Where Andy works in Nepal, where I lit, worked in, in Japan, we've, had, we've got these little white igloos that are mm, they're a whole lot bigger than I can demonstrate. And they say there's a tooth of Buddha in them. And I'd like to count how many igloos there are all over the world. Because I know China's got a bunch of them, and Nepal's got a bunch of them, and uh, more countries have, have them because wherever Buddhism is believed, they'll have their igloos, and they'll have a chip or a bone or a tooth or something. They say, I doubt it altogether. I think when they buried him, they buried him. You know, I really do. And, uh, uh, there, there's, and in any event, he was buried. And he never was raised from the dead. He is still buried. There is nothing in Buddha. And uh, it's, it's just, a, just a shame. It's, listen, let me, let, me, let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an illustration. Shintoism, all these religions kind of go together anyway. There's no big conflict between Shintoism and Buddhism. I, when I was back in Japan here just uh, several months ago, uh, I went out to a, a uh, I was out on an early morning walk, and I knew where I was. I was right by a big uh, shrine, a Shinto shrine. And I said, nah, I'm not going to go there. I just didn't want to see it. I just get sick and tired of seeing all this idolatry. And, uh, but then I said, well, fellow, you might learn something if you went in. So I went in, and they've got these big tori. You understand what those are like, you know, the two bars over there and the posts coming down in the ground? Uh, that's a gateway. But I didn't walk through the gateway. I went around the post on the outside. I'm not going to identify myself with that heathen religion. I don't know if that misidentified me or not, but at least I didn't go through the gate. I just am that ornery in my nature. And so I walked around and went in. And in, a, in this particular Shinto shrine, there were all kinds of little shrines. There was a big major shrine, but a lot of little shrines. Watch me. Here's what it's going to be like. I saw this man walking. He stopped at this shrine. And we're just going to use this wall as a shrine. And he goes like this. He bows. I suppose he prays. I don't know what he says. And that's it. And he comes over here. Here's another. I'm going to let this front pew be another shrine. And he bows, prays. That's it. Goes over here. I'm going to use the pulpit now. I'm going to stand back. The pulpit's another shrine. And here we go again. Three claps. Bow, prayer, move on. 
and he did that about five or six different places. And he was just dressed like he's going to work and probably was on his way to work. And I said to our church people there in some of the churches where I preached, I said, look, you've got to admit you can't beat that for convenience. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's convenient. I mean, there's no strain. And I, and I said to them, like I say to you tonight, here we are. This is the way we do it. You come in. You dress nicely. Come into church. We have a nice facility here for you to sit in and enjoy. Have good sound so you can hear everything and all that. Keep, make you comfortable. And we're even going to give the teenagers some pizza afterwards so they'll go home. and No, no not so they go home. So, that, that, so they'll be happy and eat some pizza. That, we'll say, leave it like that. Otherwise, you got it wrong. But anyhow, uh, you know what I'm saying. And we do all this. And you sit here and you listen to people sing. You listen to people testify. You listen to people da-da-da-da-da. And you have to listen to me preach all this time. I mean, this is not very convenient. This means a lot of hassle on your part. I mean, you can't beat that for handiness. I almost said bendry. That's Japanese. But, but I mean, that's just one, you know, just a few seconds there, a few seconds here, a few seconds here, a few seconds here, a few seconds over there. And, man, you've worshipped at five or six places, and, man, you know you've done well. But then I, I want to say, sir, it's all in vain. There is nothing there. You've been sincere. You've done what you were trained to do. But there's nothing there. There is no Savior in Shintoism. That's simply a worship of your ancestors. That's all it is. There's no scriptures. There's nothing. But God so loved the world. I'm talking about the true and living God now. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we might be saved. That's love. That's love. That's real love. And you'll never find any other love to compare to that love. That's the supreme love. And if you've never experienced that, you need to experience it tonight. But I also want to challenge you one more time with this thought. You know, God didn't ask Abraham to do something he was not willing to do. God didn't ask Hannah to do something he was not willing to do. He gave his son. And you think about the blessings and the benefits to you, to you and me. 2,000 plus years down the line since that took place. And that blood of Jesus Christ is still effective this very night. But I guarantee you that's something to console yourself with. If you have Christ in your heart, you know it's all right. You can go home tonight, you can pillow your head and go to sleep and say, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. You know, if you were to die during the night, you'd wake up in heaven. Boy, what can you, how, how can you beat that? We think gold is valuable. Buddy, we're going to walk on gold. Think of what that means. That's how much God loves us. He's going to fix us a place that is absolutely second to none. I, and, that, and thus, folks, when God says, would you give a little extra? How can we say anything but, yes, sir? Would you show me exactly how much? Isn't that right? That's all we can do. Just, yes, sir. How much would you, how much will you provide for me so that I can give? 
Because he will, won't he? He really will. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, my heart is really moved tonight with the thought of what all you've done for us. And I ask thee, dear Lord, that you'll move upon this congregation tonight. If there's anybody that needs to come forward for prayer, I ask you to help them to do just that. Whether it be for dedication to go as a missionary, whether it be to ask you to give direction and and, uh, impress upon their hearts uh, what amount they should set aside for missionaries this next year, uh, whatever is on your heart for them, I ask thee, dear Lord, to bless and help our people tonight to respond because of the Word of God. We thank Thee for Your Word. We thank Thee for what You've done for us. We thank Thee for the example of Abraham with Isaac. We thank Thee for Hannah, a sweet, sweet lady that gave her boy to Thee. And he served You his entire lifetime, an effective servant of the Lord. And then when we think about what You did for us in giving Your only begotten Son, that sinners like us could be saved, it's absolutely inexplainable. I thank Thee, and I pray that Thy will might be done, that You'll bless and guide and direct in every heart and life. Would You bless in a wonderful, wonderful way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brother.